Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Today on The Recap, violence in Chicago. 100 people were shot in the city of Chicago this past weekend. According to Chicago police, 18 people died in that violence. Even police and ATF agents aren't immune. Federal prosecutors say Eugene McLaurin has acknowledged his role in a shooting Wednesday morning that injured three law enforcement officers in Morgan Park. The city's top cop points fingers. The court released them back into the community, creating an unsafe environment for all of us. And the president flies into Crystal Lake. This is the first time a sitting president has visited Crystal Lake. President Biden making his case for the second part of his Invest in America plan. Here with more is WTTW political reporter Amanda Vinicky. Welcome back, Amanda. Thanks. Good afternoon. And here for the first time is Alex Nitkin, editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much, Sasha. I'm a longtime fan. It's great to be on. Oh, thanks for coming on. Amanda, I'll start with you because you covered the president's visit to Crystal Lake uh, in McHenry County. Now, in the 2020 election, McHenry was the only uh, one of Chicago's collar counties that actually went to Donald Trump. So what kind of welcome did Mr. Biden receive? He flew over it in an Osprey helicopter, so I, I don't think that Biden himself was particularly bothered, but I, it, had he taken the motorcade, he would have driven by a whole lot of posters telling him how much he sucks. <laughs> um, to be quite frank, that was the, the, the exact words of some of the posters. A whole lot of Trump supporters were there. I talked to many, and they spoke about their belief that the results are a lie, that Biden shouldn't be in the White House, and that he's damaging the country. So that was the reception. I should point out, you are correct, McHenry was the only collar county that favored Trump instead of Biden in the election, but barely. I mean, that's part of why I think the president likely chose McHenry County for his visit. He had made similar stops recently in uh, sort of purple areas of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Michigan. Now he went into Illinois, and perhaps that could also buttress um, him down the road. He's hoping, I think, that that will help his plans move forward in Congress, but also especially that is uh, Crystal Lake is an area represented by Congresswoman Lauren Underwood, who likewise barely eked out a win as she is, of course, still a member of the U.S. House, but it was a difficult race for her to get there. Absolutely. So the folks you spoke with on the ground then, Amanda, weren't too happy that uh, he was in town. Did they think he had any sort of agenda? Yeah, so he he certainly came with an agenda. It was interesting. The president himself said, described his own agenda in speech as boring but important. I can get kind of wonky, so I don't find any of it boring myself. But I I think a lot of the things people actually wouldn't really find dull. He was talking about, for example, 
child care, which anybody with children, that is certainly top of mind. And one of the reasons that people, uh, that, that politicians, including uh, many Democrats, cite as one of the reasons that you're having a lot of people not return to work is because they can't find somebody to take care of their children while they're on the job. Right. So uh, things like that and providing free community college, uh, school for three and four year olds. So, um, yes, he, he so certainly quite had the agenda. an agenda there. <laughs> and yeah. Well, just hours before he landed at O'Hare, Amanda, two federal agents and a Chicago police officer were shot. So Chicago violence seemed to steal the spotlight then. Yeah, I mean, certainly, how can it not? And that, of course, follows last weekend's horrific uh, violence where you had more than 100 people shot in Chicago. The president spoke only briefly with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. There is federal support coming supposedly soon to Chicago to help with this efforts. But yes, that mm-hmm. cannot, I think, be ignored and certainly something that the, the president is well aware of. Is that going to change anything at the congressional level where thus far you have not seen any traction despite mass shootings in Chicago and, of course, throughout the country and rising crime in other cities as well when it comes to uh, efforts to pass a federal law that would prevent what the mayor says is one of the culprits, and that is gun trafficking from states with looser regulations. No, I I don't think that's going to change the political dynamic in Washington. Well, Alex, as Amanda mentioned, the July 4th weekend was the deadliest and most violent of the year. 104 people shot. There was a lot of finger pointing between uh, Superintendent David Brown and Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox about who's to blame here. What's going on with that? You know, a lot of this is not new. This is sort of a a tit for tat that's been going back and forth at least for the past two years or so since before Superintendent Brown came aboard that this has just been sort of a a line that we've been hearing occasionally from the mayor's office, but really consistently from CPD. They say we're doing the best we can. We're recovering guns off the street is usually the, the first stat that they point to. And this is something that David Brown has said too. He said that we're on pace to confiscate 12,000 guns from the streets of Chicago by the end of this year, which would be historically unprecedented, he said. And then, you know, immediately in the next breath say, but we have to do something about the court system. We have to do something about how many people are released pretrial on electronic monitoring. And what he will do is then bring up specific examples, you know, really horrific, tragic examples of people who had been out on electronic monitoring and then go on to recommit a crime because they're not in jail. I think that the criticism that then people in the county who oversee the court system, people like state's attorney Kim Fox, Chief Judge Timothy Evans, and and have said they are, yeah, using the term finger pointing, scapegoating, and then in the next breath saying the police need to be better about arresting people who are committing gun offenses. The clearance rates are low, and that's the issue here. So you can definitely say that they're finger pointing as well. Mm -hmm. I think that the bottom line is that it's just disconcerting for people who are really anxious about this violence to see the people who are in charge basically saying, well, we're doing everything else that we can, but look at these other people. I think it doesn't really engender a sense of, you know, security or confidence overall. I want to pivot to the resignation this week of Chicago Inspector General Joe Ferguson. He's calling it quits after 12 years though he's actually still going to be in office through the middle of October. So first of all, Alex, explain to us what the IG does. That's a good question, in part because his role has really expanded just in the last 12 years that Ferguson has been here. You know, originally it is just to investigate claims of 
you know, the classic example is waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, basically, people doing things that they shouldn't be doing, wasting taxpayer money, or doing some kind of, you know, CD improper behavior, investigating complaints. But that has since expanded out to jurisdiction over the city council. And we've seen really, especially in the past couple of months, the inspector general uh, advocate for some policy on the city level, specifically a historic database that people could be able to search of police misconduct complaints, closed historic police misconduct complaints going back to 2000. Mm -hmm. That specifically was a source of tension between him and the mayor's office. Well, besides his resignation, the city's inspector general also made news for releasing a report about the Chicago Police Department's recruitment process. What did that report say, Alex? Yeah, and before I talk about that, I also want to point out that um, the IG's office clarified that, well, it's not a resignation, just say that he's stepping down. I thought that that was interesting and could maybe signal, well, he's he's got some more work to do after he leaves this office. Hmm. With regard to that report that you mentioned, yeah, this came out yesterday, and this was from Deborah Witzberg, who, like I mentioned, the Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety, who's really just, for the most part, devoted to keeping tabs on police reform. And this had to do with the pace of diversifying the ranks of the Chicago Police Department, which we know has been a priority for the city for a very long time. So to the extent that it was actually written into the consent decree, this is something that the police department needs to work on. They say that it's really key to earning the public's trust in the police department, which is a matter of huge concern right now. And I think that the conventional wisdom out there really has been that, you know, the police department has been trying to recruit and get the word out to Black and Latino and generally people of color to join the police department and apply, but yeah. you know, there's just not as much will there. This report now says that's actually not true. The early application pool was actually 37% Black, which is you know, greater than the overall share of the Black population in Chicago. But through the course of the recruitment and application process, through one means or another, the Black applicants ended up getting purged out. And by the end of that process, this is the, the 2016 to 2018 period that uh, the IG's office was looking at. The ultimate academy class was only 18% Black. I was talking to, to Witzberg about this, who wrote the report, and she said, well, in, in one sense, this is kind of a good news story, which is that the there isn't really a, an issue with application and getting more you know people of color to apply. This is something that is entirely within the police department's control. So now it needs to get to work. Amanda, Chicago police are still working without a contract, though, right? Four years after their contract expired. So why are they working without a contract exactly? Yeah, so not quite without a contract. They're operating under the last contract still. And that is, of course, an issue for both sides, for the city, because the mayor's office, uh, many residents and very vocal advocates say that this contract and changes within it are part of the keys to changing the dynamics, the culture within the CPD, that in order to get reforms, such as allowing for people to um, anonymously make complaints about officers, uh, reviewing of instances, how long it takes before an officer needs to internally testify about what went on um, in a shooting situation. These are the sorts of things that they really want to move the needle on, and that can't 
quite move without a contract. Of course, you have this coming at the same time as a new state law is taking effect. That'll be rolled out over years that changes the dynamics of policing statewide. And then, as Alex has been noting, you also have, of course, the consent decree. Um, what it means is that police, again, are still operating under the last contract and they're being paid under that last contract. Presumably, when, if there is any sort of deal or agreement reached, they will receive back pay. But again, you'll have this entire lull period where there aren't any changes in how policing is practiced per the CPD's contract. I, I would add four years. There's literally a, a website that the city has that is counting four years and nine days now. I just checked right before the show. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't foresee that really changing anytime soon. That's Amanda Vinicky of WTTW. Also walking us through the weekly news recap, Alex Nitkin of The Daily Line. Alex and Amanda, we still have plenty of news to talk about, including stories like these. COVID cases are on the rise as vaccinations are at a low for the Southern 7 Health Department in Illinois. Since early May, virtually every COVID-19 hospitalization and death in the United States has been among the unvaccinated. Today I'm signing into law legislation that makes health care more accessible and affordable for all Illinoisans. Picketers took to the loop surrounding City Hall and the Cook County building. They say they're picketing for what they call a fair contract. Longtime Chicago Alderwoman Carrie Austin and her chief of staff have both pleaded not guilty to bribery charges. Okay, diving back into it. Alex, we just heard Alderwoman Carrie Austin pleaded not guilty this week. Remind us what she's accused of. Mostly of bribery, of actually a pretty clear-cut sort of pay-to-play quid pro quo situation. Basically, federal prosecutors laid out a timeline between 2016 and 2019, where on the one hand, uh, Carrie Austin and her chief of staff were using their regular sort of aldermanic powers to steer public funding, specifically through tax increment financing and, and something called menu money for infrastructure, toward a 91-unit townhome development in her ward. And concurrently, along the same sort of schedule, we have this uh, log of texts and calls showing that that developer was doing personal favors for Austin, specifically paying for renovations at her home, new kitchen cabinets, new bathroom tiles, a an expensive sump pump and a similar line of accusations for Chester Wilson, who was Austin's chief of staff, who mm -hmm. allegedly was getting a similar um, uh, uh, benefits. And there is also one count of lying to the FBI. You know, those of us who've been following this remember about two years ago now, Austin's office was raided by the FBI. And at the time, according to this um, uh, indictment, she was asked about, you know, by federal investigators about these favors from the developer and she said uh apparently they didn't give me anything except a cake um so wow. this seems like allegedly there was more than that and what the prosecutors are saying they're directly tying these two tracts of favors for favors and saying that that was deliberate and corrupt do you think this might come with yesterday with a sump pump and bathroom shit. tiles and such baked in huh <laughs> with some frosting on top oh right <laughs> The cake. Um, right. Well, do you think that this might prompt the mayor to ask her to step down from her committee chairmanship? That is the big question. I, I mean, you know, when we saw a, a pretty similar indictment from uh, Ed Burke, right, again, also, uh, man, two years ago now, 
Lightfoot, and of course, no friend of Ed Burke, immediately said he has betrayed his trust to the city. You know, how can he be a public servant with this hang over his head and immediately called for him to resign? Um, now, you know, we were asked about this on Friday, right after this indictment came out, uh, or Lightfoot was asked about it. And she said, you know, this is very serious. I need to have a conversation with Carrie Austin and we'll go from there. This is, of course, different because um, the mayor basically more or less appointed Austin to a chairmanship, uh, actually created a new committee specifically for her called the Committee on Contracting Oversight and Equity. And it's not a super active committee, but it's still a chairmanship. And so there are two questions here, which is, um, is the mayor going to ask her to resign from her aldermanic role, but also her role as committee chairman? And, you know, we asked about this, the administration yesterday, and the statement out was pretty much the same. It was, this is very serious. You know, the mayor is going to have a conversation with Alderman Austin and we'll see what happens next. But, you know, if eventually I think that she might start to come under accusations of a sort of double standard, you know, she was calling Ed Burke, you know, Burger King Ed in relation to his indictment. Mm -hmm. Is is she going to start calling Carrie Austin kitchen cabinet Carrie? Like somehow I don't see that <laughs> happening. Right? She's a real, you know, more or less ally of hers in the city council. So we're going to have to see if she really follows through on the same standard and ask for her to step down. All right, let's turn to some statewide issues. Governor Pritzker signed legislation on Tuesday that will expand access to health care across the state. Uh, what are the details, Amanda? This is a new law that will continue to extend protections that were given during the COVID pandemic and makes them more permanent. And that is particularly significant for those who are on Medicaid, the government-backed program for the poor. So that is, um, I would say, the main takeaway of this. Is the, is the point is to address inequities, really, in healthcare. Illinois also received another credit rating upgrade. Standard & Poor's upgrade comes just a week after a similar move from the Moody's Credit Rating Agency. It had been decades since either gave the state an upgrade, and it means that when the state borrows money, they can do it at a much lower interest rate, which obviously saves taxpayers in the long run. But how big of a deal is this, Amanda? I mean, it's a, it's a very significant deal, not only because it saves taxpayers money, but because it changes the dynamic with which the state is viewed on the part of investors, perhaps on residents. I mean, this was really big news. You have S&P, Moody's had done it prior, still waiting uh, for some action on Fitch. But it is significant in that it saves Illinois from really going down the fiscal drain further by getting to junk bond status. I mean, a credit rating in the reverse really would have sunk Illinois. Um, but instead, this is some good news for a state that hasn't had fiscal news in quite some time. It's not all happy, hunky-dory, let's go skipping. Mm -hmm. uh, you still have warnings from the credit agencies eyeing Illinois' pensions. And to pick up a phrase that Alex just used a little bit, of, a little bit ago in terms of, you know, all those millions add up, this is, the, this is the case of that, right? Illinois has $140 billion with a B, outstanding long-term pension debt. That doesn't have to be paid off right away. But I don't think we're going to see Illinois' credit ratings reach that of other states and what we want until there is some intention. It could take decades to reach that point of that pension debt being paid off. But nonetheless, this is certainly some good news mm -hmm. for the state of Illinois. I want to briefly turn your attention to COVID, Amanda, because um, it feels a little bit like we're getting some conflicting news here. Illinois reported zero deaths for the first time since the start of the pandemic. 
But at the same time, infection rates are rising again in southern and, and west central Illinois. So what's going on? Well, so you have pockets, and frankly, WBZ has done some great reporting on the disparities within the suburbs. You're, you're seeing that play out throughout Illinois, right, where there are pockets where vaccination rates are quite high, and then there are areas, particularly those um, in regions that you mentioned, some of the um, also across the border. People, of course, don't stay within their state boundaries. They cross back and forth. and. That is really what I think is leading to some of this. When you have areas where vaccination rates are low, more people are getting COVID. And we have heard a lot about the Delta variant as well, particularly there. And you're going to see perhaps more mutations in unvaccinated populations. Uh, Adding within that, uh, there are also some state employee sectors, the Illinois Department of Corrections, for example, many of the state's prisons, those who work there, very low rates of vaccination. Um, The state is trying to tackle this. So in addition to somebody in Chicago, congratulations, a million dollars richer for having been automatically entered into the state lottery after having received that COVID vaccine. Um, The state's holding other programs to try and encourage some of the workers, including those in correction facilities, to get vaccinated by winning prizes through the state. Alex, the city saw 30 building fires, 27 garage fires, and 293 rubbish fires Sunday night through Monday morning. And many of those fires can reasonably be considered to be the result of fireworks activity, according to fire officials on Twitter. Did fireworks activity really seem to be more intense this year to you, Alex? You know, from my own perspective, I feel like it's very intense every year. I uh, sort of feel like I'm living in the the blitz for three days. Um, (laughs) This feels, yeah, I think this weekend was sort of on par with it. And like you you mentioned hearing from fire department officials, um, Nina Bloom and Block Club had a really great piece looking back at this both sort of talking to some folks in neighborhoods and then anecdotally from uh, police, or, uh, sorry, from fire department officials saying, yeah, this year was more intense. A, a number of trash fires, of, of house fires. Um, yeah. And I think one person had an accident and, and lost his hand. Wow. I think that this is just really a reminder that these things really are dangerous. They're not just um, loud and, and some might argue kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Um, there are real consequences to this, whether it's fires and injuries. Um, and we just saw more of it this weekend. I'm not really sure what there is to be done about it, especially when Indiana, with its very lax fireworks regulations, is just right there yeah. Um, yeah. You know, across the Calumet River. Well, almost out of time, but I want to close out the conversation by taking a look at another way that the city is trying to liven up downtown to get tourists and and visitors back in the loop. Alex, tell us briefly about Sundays on State. Yeah, Sundays on State is a program that the city has tried to roll roll out uh, for three Sundays this summer, starting with uh, this coming Sunday, July 11th, when a several block uh, strip of State Street downtown will be blocked off to traffic and it'll be pedestrianized. It'll just be open to people coming in. There's going to be, you know, food stalls. There's going to be live performances and and arts. I think that this is, I should also mention that um, the city is, I don't remember the names of them, but there's a similar, maybe lunches on LaSalle or something on LaSalle Street that they're doing is different day of the week. Yeah, It is not, number one to try and um, 
liven up economic activity post-pandemic, like you said, and also part of a concerted push we're seeing to pedestrianize and open up streets a little bit and urbanize. And we'll see if maybe that's a lasting effect from the pandemic after yeah. those programs were done out of necessity last year. Yeah, well, Sundays on State State Street will be closed to cars on select Sundays through September 12th. We'll have to leave it there for now. That is Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line, and WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight. Thank you both. Thanks for joining us for the Weekly News Recap. For more conversations that take you inside the who's, what's, and why's of the area's biggest news stories, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast or tell your smart speaker to play WBEZ's Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.